Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey friends, welcome again to Engage 360 at Denver Seminary. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Don Payne, your host. Over the past year and a half, we've taken time uh, with a few guests to explore the broader life effects of the pandemic beyond merely the physical effects of COVID. Our many frontline workers have experienced acute effects of the worldwide pandemic. And in this episode, we want to focus on a group of people, another group of frontline workers, who can sometimes feel like they are dealing with the effects of a pandemic throughout their entire careers. Pastors. Uh, Pastoral ministry, as well as many other forms of people-oriented, people-centered ministry, can be personally taxing and existentially draining in ways that are really difficult to describe to those who haven't been in those roles. When I was pastoring a few decades ago, I used to refer to it as the best job I ever hated and the worst job I ever loved. Uh, it's, uh, it's glorious, uh, it's a sacred privilege in so many ways, and at the same time, it's fraught with risks and hazards. So in this week, we have a conversation with an experienced pastor who knows both the hazards and the glories all too well, and now has a ministry to pastors who have been ground up or burned out or hollowed out. Uh, Kevin Butcher is the executive director of Rooted Ministries after having pastored Hope Community Church in Detroit, which he founded. I'm going to have him tell a little bit of that story. But Kevin, welcome to the podcast. So good to be with you, Don. Really, really glad you're here. Kevin is the author of a couple of books I'll want to draw your attention to. One is called Choose and Choose Again, The Brave Act of Returning to God's Love. The other is called Free, Rescued from Shame-Based Religion, released into the life-giving love of Jesus. I love those titles. They're, uh, that second one, that's a mouthful. And that's a... <laughs> it is. <laughs> that just about takes up the cover of the book. That subtitle does. Uh, anyway, we're, uh, the, both of these books are published by Nav Press, and I'll mention them again before we're done today. Uh, but Kevin, has, um, Kevin is a, a mentoring resource for pastors who uh, are, as I said, ground up, used up, hollowed out, and can't be totally open. They don't have a safe place uh, in their circles to talk about all of that. So, Kevin, I, first of all, if you would maybe just give us a brief overview of, of your story and how you came to to do this. Yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, it, it starts when I was just a kid. I mean, I, I, I already in the home that I was raised in, I could sense— the impact of shame on my life. And so when I met the love of Jesus at the age of five, you know, I didn't know anything about theology, didn't know anything about the Trinity. I just knew that the brother that was speaking that night, when I should have been tearing the pages out of hymnals, I was somehow, my heart was drawn to the love that I felt from him mm. and this, this, this guy named Jesus that he talked about. So I believed that night. Problem is, for the next 30, 31 years, I didn't experience much of that love. I experienced a lot of the rules, what I've learned to call um, just do it Christianity. Yeah. You know, now that you're saved by his love and grace, you better get with the program. And if you're not, I don't understand why, because the rest of us are, which is, by the way, not true. And so um, that led me to a near suicide attempt, um, that kind of emptiness because of that love that I didn't know about. I was 36 years old. 
I was a successful pastor. In fact, I'd, I, to be honest, I, I, I'd been fortunate enough to be successful academically, athletically, married the woman of my, the girl of my dreams, three beautiful daughters. The church was coming out of a tough time and beginning to really grow and take off. And yet I was miserable inside because I didn't know, Don. It's amazing, isn't it? Four years of seminary, didn't know that God loved me. I knew that he loved you. I knew all the Greek words for love. I could preach a sermon about love that would make you cry. I didn't know that he loved me. So one night on a freeway in Detroit, I almost took my own life. And um, so I, I began to wonder, are there other pastors who know all the right words? They can preach like crazy. They can maybe do a degree of counseling. They can administrate. They can construct mission statements and strategic statements and lead in that sense. But deep down inside where that hole is that Paul talks about in Ephesians 3, you know, that needs to be filled with the love of Christ, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that fullness of God that will come through that love. What if they don't know um, either? And they're ministering out of that emptiness that will eventually c- catch up with them. I think that's when the seeds of who's, who's talking to guys like me or uh, sisters like me who are in ministry, for me, it was no one. So uh, from the moment I entered ministry at 29, through that period of, of, of almost suicide, I mean, I, I got a therapist by the grace of God that really became the closest thing to a mentor I ever had. Mm. Um, but all the way to the last day of uh, vocational ministry after 34 years, Don never had one older brother for me. My wife, Carla, never had one older sister that came to us and said, we don't want anything from you. We just want to be here with you and for you. And so toward the end of, of those 34 years, I began to say to myself what had been birthed in me earlier on, what if we could construct something, and I didn't know what, where we could be for other pastors and their spouses and their families, their, their children, what we never had. And Rooted Ministries was birthed out of that passion and that dream. Okay. You, you used one, one phrase or one descriptor I'd love to pick up on and, because I think it captures much of what many, many pastors feel, and that is that everybody in your circle wants something from you. And that, that seems to have been the, the unique gift or the, the, the hole, the space that you needed filled, is that Big you time. needed somebody who wanted nothing from you. Yeah, I mean, don't we all need that? Someone who says, I'm just here and I just love you. I mean, not to get all pious, but that's what Jesus gave to people. I'm here and I just love you. I mean, even the rabbinic community, the Pharisaical community back in in the New Testament era, I mean, there, there was agenda, agenda. Everywhere religion is, there's agenda. But where Jesus walked, people sensed no agenda, just a love that heals, you know, his mission yeah, statement yeah. in Luke 4, I've come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. I needed some of that. My wife desperately needed that. My children needed that. Pastors at all uh, levels, if you will, on the in the structure of the church need that. Where do they go to find that? They can't go to their official board, whatever you call that yeah, board, because yeah. they hold the keys to their employment. They hold the money, if you will, uh, and the power. They can't really share everything with their cons- constituency because that would be abusive. If I shared everything to, with a person who's looking up to me at, in that pastoral position, that wouldn't be good. 
either. You can be a, you can be transparent, but not that transparent. So where is there someone just there that I'm not above or below in terms of the structure of life? Where there's no, as Freud would call it, transference or countertransference, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. where we can just share and be safe. There was never anyone. Well, I had three brother pastors that God gave me walking together still after 40 years. They saved our life, my life. I think we helped save their life. But in terms of older, and we need that. Titus 2 says we need that. Nobody. Yeah, somebody who has a few more miles Come on, on their tires. You bet. Yeah. Don't you think that's a, a curious thing about pastoral ministry is that we, at, the, at one and the same time, we need to be needed. Indeed. And that turns into something quite toxic. Especially if our hearts are empty. I mean, everybody wants to think that they're needed. I mean, that feeling like I'm not just taking up space on the planet without purpose. Yeah, we do need to be needed. Of course we do. But when it becomes, for me, Don, that became, because of my emptiness, that became an addiction. So that, you know, I, I needed to know. I mean, I was a pretty good communicator. I needed to know that sermon was probably the best that I'd ever preached, you know. <laughs> and I would never yeah. say that. Yeah. I would be too ashamed to say that. But I was like, I was like you know, we saw many heroin addicts in, in our neighborhood um, in the last church I pastored. I was like an approval addict because I wanted to be needed but on steroids because of the emptiness inside me, right. the brokenness, Don, that no one— until I cracked, literally until I broke wide open. Nobody ever talked to me about, mm. curiously. Even in seminary, nobody ever talked to mm. me about. So wh- what is it about pastoral ministry and maybe maybe other forms of ministry for that matter, but what what is it about pastoring that seems to set people up for these these spiritual implosions that, that you experienced and that, and that you're currently addressing through your ministry? I would say... First and foremost, it's that inner emptiness that most of the time is not easily talked about or easily focused on, especially in our training, let alone in our undergrad work or, you know, back when we're growing up in high school and whatever. How, how often does somebody come up to you and say, they'll say, how are you doing? But I think really they're, they're wanting to know how circumstances are going and mm-hmm. how you're functioning in your roles in life. How many times do you have somebody that says, no, really, man, you know, we're all wounded in some way. What's going on inside? And, and then if we could even ferret out what is there that is driving us, because you know this, Don, that, you know, if we have damaged emotions, those damaged emotions will control, that wounded space will control what our cognitive brain, our left brain believes or thinks we believe or know every time. So, First and foremost, I think many pastors are walking around with a head full of knowledge. I personally had six and a half years of Greek, three, two years of Hebrew, and three years of Latin by the time I entered ministry at the age of 29. But my heart was broken. My heart was empty. I had childhood wounds. There was trauma that had never been dealt with. Um, there were false beliefs that I was carrying around in me. And because I'd been successful, nobody would have thought that. Mm-hmm. But it was true. So that's first and foremost. That sets us up for the rigors of ministry to just continue to suck the life out of us, and we end up empty and then acting out of that emptiness. Mm. But I would also say there are some structural reasons. I mean, the hierarchical structure of the church creates no safe place for the pastor to simply be a part of the body. Um, Money. I mean, how is a pastor supposed to lead when 
a few folk that they know are supporting the ministry might not like the way they are leading or where they're leading the church. That's that's enormous pressure. It's enormous. And I, man, what I love, and I think many of my brother and sister pastors would love to deconstruct the whole thing and start over without money being such a big piece. You can't do it. You just cannot do it. So you have to live within it. But I can't tell you how many pastors I'm dealing with right now where that is a huge, mostly unspoken issue of power and control over Mm -hmm. their ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, Hero worship. You know, we're set up to fail because nobody can live into what people think we should be. I had a a therapist say to me at the peak of my quote unquote success back at my second church, uh, we had just had a 10 year anniversary party. And it, it was just one of those moments where you're going like, this thing is happening, man. We're growing. We're baptizing folks. We were probably at a thousand people. Yeah. You know, all the, all the benchmarks that we are taught, this is what makes you the guy. And this therapist and his wife, who's a therapist, they came up to my, us afterward and, and I'll never forget it. They said, this is great, Kim. We're so happy for you. But don't forget this. If they love you beyond reason, they will hate you without reason. And I was like, Tom, no, that's worth remembering. What, what are you telling me this for now? Eight years later, uh, no, four years later, in the midst of racial turmoil, where we were trying to lead our church into being a, a community of justice, got fired. I mean, in ways that I don't have time to go into, but wounding ways. I, I went from being the hero to the enemy without passing through purgatory on my way to hell. And that is a pastors can't live into what's expected. In fact, you know this, read, especially lead pastor's job descriptions. I think if Paul came back, Don, he would say, where did you get this? No, he wouldn't get hired. And we'll say, well, you know, 1 Timothy 3, and I think he would say, don't you blame what you've got on this paper on me. No human, I would never write this because no human being could fulfill this. And then you add the family pressures. Um, How about what one pastor talked to me lately about CPR, COVID, politics, and the incredible division between right and left, sitting in the pews, expecting the pastor to somehow solve all of that, usually expecting the pastor to, to go their way, lead the church their yeah, way. Right. And then the racial brokenness in our country that we can no longer ignore. Shame on us for ignoring it as long as many of us have, but we can no longer ignore. And so you add those three present pressures on everything else we've talked about, and there's more. Don, I'm surprised anybody survives at yeah, all. Yeah, it's a wonder anybody's still standing, right? And you know terms, that the stats right. say that 40%... I don't know where I got this, but I heard it from a re- reputable source. Forty percent today of pastors are considering stepping away because they just can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've already kind of spoken to this, but I, I want to hear you elaborate on it further, Kevin. Wh- what is it that pastors really need when they're in the crucible of all of that, right in the thick of the those pressures, those demands? dealing with their own emptiness, some of the temptations that that will lure them into some unhealthy spaces. Yeah. I mean, I'm even as you're talking to me, I'm getting kind of messed up inside um, because I'm thinking of specific pastors right now that Rooted is privileged to walk with in ways that we had no one walking with us. And 
I think this is going to sound so pious, but I don't mean it to be. This is boots on the ground reality for me. Pastors need to know that Jesus is not just out there somewhere in the cosmos at the right hand of the Father, wherever that is, looking down on them saying, you know, thumbs up, got your back, um, keep following me, here's 10 more things you should be doing. Don, they need to know that the Jesus who said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, is right next to them, maybe right across the veil in glory, like he was when he broke through and, and was with the two on the road to Emmaus, and then he was gone, mm-hmm. and then he was with Thomas, and then he was gone. They need to know he's that near, or I don't know how they survive. I was talking to a pastor the other day um, who is in the crucible of trying to help his mostly Caucasian congregation understand that racial justice is a part of the Word of God and the work of the cross, and they're killing him, walking out, longtime friends. He's married them, buried them, walking away. And I said to my brother, I said, bro, um, where's Jesus in this for you? The one who called you, the one who was the Lord of this church, where's Jesus? He said, well, I think, Kev, Jesus is saying that we should do this and we should do this, and and tomorrow I'm going to do this because I think Jesus is telling me. I said, my friend, I'm not trying to be coy. I'm not asking you what Jesus is telling you. I'm asking you, where is he for you? Honest to goodness, Don, he looked at me. He hung his head. The tears began to fall, and he said, to be honest, Kev, I have no idea. Hmm. And this is a studied preaching machine. He's a lover. He just, somehow the ministry has has pulled Christ away from his heart. That's the most important thing. And then if, if pastors can be with others without the hierarchy, Don. So there's, there's no fear of, if I share this with you, what are you going to do with this information? So peers, if you will, mm-hmm. that are just there to love, just a safe place where they can take off the pastoral mask and say, this is who I really am. They don't have to be a therapist. You know this, Peter said, above all things, love one another fervently because that love will cover heal a multitude of sins pastors need that they need to have someone to be there they need a don to be with a kevin or a kevin to be with a don where i can look in your eyes and see that you really care about me and i can tell you anything and the love of christ through you will meet me in that pain and begin to heal me those two things i think pastors need more than anything and so often, those are the two things that they don't really have. Okay, so it sounds like the, what you're talking about is an embodiment of that love. Because I, w- I was going to ask you, what was it about those safe people who came into your life? What was it about them that showed you where Jesus Indeed. was? And I, and I think you just answered that question. It was that embodiment My brother, of love? That is, is that a fair That is a word I, I, I use quite frequently in the second book because I I believe that with all of my heart. It's kind of like God said, I want to love my people. I'm going to embody that love. I'm going to incarnate and and come in in Christ. And so we too have to embody that love. If we don't, if the church is, is a place for pastors where it's about output, 
It's about production that taps into all the shame and all the emptiness eventually will implode. So one time I was doing with one of these close brother pastors I was talking about with you, uh, I was doing this, uh, this I, I think I'd asked him to come in and do a leadership conference for our, for our church. And so we administered together side by side. When we got done, we went downstairs to debrief with our wives and just to laugh and joke and drink coffee. And my friend Ed said, hey, Kev, you did a great job. And I was early on in my healing at this point from shame and the lack of love in my life and all kinds of gifts, but empty, Don. And uh, so he said, you did a great job, Kev. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know. I shouldn't have said that. I should have said this. I, my buddy Ed, who's an ex-Army captain, and not exactly the hugging type, okay? <laughs> Don, he, he asked Carla and his wife Judy to step away for a minute. He pulled everything aside, pulled his chair right up in front of mine, took my head in his hands, got right up in my face and said, don't you understand, Kev? I just love you. I can't even tell you, Don, how much shame, and I had a boatload, came leaking out of the bottom of my feet down into the trough that led it back to a drain that led it back to hell where I came from because of the embodiment in that moment of that love. What if pastors had a steady diet of that to heal the emptiness, heal the brokenness that they're not even sure sometimes they have, so that the love that the people come into the church looking for, yes, they need knowledge, and yes, they need strategies and things to do, but they're really looking for love. They're looking for the love of Christ. What if pastors, instead of preaching at that, were able to embody it themselves because it had been embodied to them? Kevin, tell us a little bit more about Rooted uh, rooted ministries and specifics. What you do? How to uh, maybe people if want to if people want to connect with you? How do they find you? And what would they expect? That's a great question. Um, well, the website is www.rootedministries.co.com was already taken, so it's okay, dot just co. co. Okay, and they can go to the website. And there's a place where um, you can talk about whether you're a rooted church because you might be an elder or whatnot, or a rooted pastor that's looking for some encouragement or some hope or some connection. And then the website will take you to a place where you can literally fill out a very short form that says, what, what are you looking for? And another way is that you can go there and just email me directly. I think it's jkb or jkbutcher at rootedministries.co. That will come to me directly. Kevin, I'm so grateful for what you're doing, for how you've made your own story and your experience available to the rest of the body of Christ. And mm. I'm just glad for the fruitful season of ministry God is mm. giving you now, building on all that. And I hope a lot of listeners will um, either contact you or begin to do some of that work you've talked about. This is for real. This is for my heart. Yeah. I want each of them to know we may never be able to talk but I love them. And, and, and somebody else does as well. There's somebody who indeed can embody that love of Christ to indeed. us. Indeed. Seek him out. Kevin Butcher, Rooted Ministries. Kevin, so grateful for your time and um, hope that many of you will reach out to Kevin or reach out to somebody.
Amen. Don't let this stuff keep going. Amen. This has been another episode of Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. And we um, guess we want to express to you that we, we would communicate to you that our Lord loves you. Amen. However it is that you need to hear that and can hear that. Uh, we, every, every one of us need to hear that. Our Lord loves you. Full stop. Amen. Come back and be with us again, friends. Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. Talk to you soon.